Joseph, Jesus, and Mary, help my friend, Mr. Bailey. Help my son, George, tonight. He never thinks about himself, God. That's why he's in trouble. George is a good guy. Give him a break, God. I love him, dear Lord. Watch over him tonight. Please, God, something's the matter with Daddy. Please bring Daddy back. Hello, Joseph. Trouble? Looks like we'll have to send someone down. A lot of people asking for help for a man named George Bailey. George Bailey? Yes, tonight's his crucial night. You're right. We'll have to send someone down immediately. You sent for me, sir? Yes, Clarence. A man down on Earth needs our help. Splendid. Is he sick? No, worse. He's discouraged. At exactly 10.45 p.m. Earth time, that man will be thinking seriously of throwing away God's greatest gift. Oh, dear, dear, his life. Then I've only an hour to dress. Well, welcome to Christmas at the Movies, our fourth and final installment where we're taking movies that we all know and love and we all probably are going to be watching during the Christmas season and... We're going to use them to show the message of Jesus. We're going to use it to show the true message of Christmas. And I've saved the best for last, in my opinion. How many has ever seen the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? Yeah, how, how many, this is a Christmas tradition for you. You, you watch It's a Wonderful Life every Christmas or, or very every couple of years. Yeah, yeah, some of us. Um, I, this was something that... I've seen probably every year of my life, my family and I, we would always watch this movie because it, it puts things into perspective, doesn't it? It puts things into perspective about what's important and, and, and it gives us a new vision about what our lives really are all about. Because so many times whenever we're just kind of in the middle of it, we don't really see who we are, we don't see who others are, we don't see who God is. So we're going to be talking about that, but before we do, I want to... Get, talk a little bit about where we're going as a church and what's been happening. Now, this week was a was an awesome week because we were able to deliver Christmas gifts and food to a local family here at West Valley Middle School, and uh, we were able to connect with that family and and give them gifts that were wrapped and and all kinds of food for their Christmas, and and that's because of your generosity. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for those of you that serve and for those of you that give, sp specifically in the impact offering, because that money was given to 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 bless families like that in need, and also the CARM, which is Knoxville Area Rescue Ministries, um, because you gave, that was able to, to happen. So why don't you give yourself a hand? That's awesome what you're doing as a church. And I was thinking about just the impact of, of that this Christmas and how there's a family literally that's going to have Christmas because of you. Um, and, and, and I don't know if you've ever been at that place where of need. And, and it was just, I don't know, it was overwhelming today. I had the privilege of delivering that, and it was absolutely overwhelming. And, and I just wish every, all you guys could be there with me to see it, because it was just an absolute amazing, amazing thing. Well, Christmas is, is a crazy time. It's a difficult time. It's, it's really busy. I saw this this week. It, it was, you've heard the, uh, you know, the poem, The Night Before Christmas. Well, I, I saw one this week. This is for parents, and it's called The Real Night Before Christmas. It says, "'Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house I searched for the tools to hand to my spouse. 
Instructions were studied and we were inspired in hopes we could manage some assembly required. The children were quiet, not asleep in their beds, while mom and I faced the evening with dread. A kitchen, two bikes, Barbie's townhouse, a boot to boot, and now thanks to grandpa, a train with a toot. We opened the boxes, my heart skipped a beat. Let no parts be missing or parts incomplete. When what to my worrying eyes should appear but 150 sheets of directions, concise but not clear, with each part numbered in every slot named, so if we failed, only we could be blamed. More rapid than eagles, the parts then fell out. All over the carpet, they were scattered about. And then, in a twinkling, I knew for a fact that all the toy dealers had indeed made a pact to keep parents busy all Christmas Eve night with assembly required till morning's first light. We spoke not a word, but kept bent at our work till our eyes, they went blurry and our fingers all hurt. The coffee went cold and the night it wore thin before we attracted the last before we attached the last rod and the last pin. Then laying the tools away in the chest, we fell into bed for a well-deserved rest. But I said to my wife just before I passed out, this will be the best Christmas without any doubt. Tomorrow we'll cheer, let the holiday ring, and we'll run to the store and for one we'll not run to the store for one single thing. We did it, we did it. The toys are all set for the perfect, most magical Christmas, I bet. Then off to dreamland and sweet repose, I gratefully went. Though I suppose there's something to say for those self-deluded, I forgot that batteries are never included. Hallelujah. What about that, everybody? Those of you that know what's putting toys together is all about, you know that's, that's so true, what's going on. We, I love Christmas gifts. I love Christmas presents. The wrapping part of it is a big deal at our house, and it's something I've never really understood because we buy paper to make it pretty, to make it ugly again, right? You know, we buy paper, we wrap it all up, it's nice, and then we rip it all to pieces, rip it all to shreds. How many of you came from a family where all of the presents are wrapped perfectly? How many you come from that family? Everything's in a bow, everything's nice. How many come from the family where nothing's even wrapped? It's like the Walmart sack, you know, anybody? Nobody? Can somebody be honest? We come from, this year is our, the Amazon box year. It's like we just put the Amazon box under the tree, everybody, and we'll be okay. Or I grew up in the land of we're just gonna we're gonna take what you know it's just the wrapping job you know whatever makes do and the bow just sticks on top you know what I'm saying no, that's that's what it was my mother had an incredible ability to make present make 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 the the money stretch at Christmas time she could take one gift and turn it into to, to multiple gifts one year I'll never forget I wanted a pair a new pair of shoes they were Charles Barkley sneakers. For those of you that are, um, you know, remember that era of basketball, uh, they were, I wanted them so bad, and I remember they were $105, which are still expensive today for, uh, for shoes, but my mom, she wrapped one shoe in one box, another shoe in another box, she wrapped the shoelace in another box, another shoelace, and socks in another box, she turned one pair of shoes into like eight presents, somebody. <laughs> That's a, that's a good mom. She knew what she was doing to make that stretch. And and I, one of the things that I, I'll that always has frustrated me as kids is, is is usually the boxes that are the most perfect are not even real presents. Have you ever been to a mall before? Maybe you were been to the mall recently and you see you know, these elaborate Christmas trees and there's gifts under the tree, right? 
Well, as a kid, I thought, man, these are the most amazing, like, they, there's a gift for me here at this mall. Or there's a gift for me here on this person's front door. Like, this is so exciting. This is a beautiful, well-wrapped gift. But then I discovered that it's not real. All right? The gifts are fake. It's just well-wrapped emptiness. And I thought, doesn't that describe sometimes how Christmas can become in our hearts? Well-wrapped emptiness. Because something about this season draws out difficult situations in our hearts, difficult situations in our heads. Maybe it's a, a, a seat that will be empty this Christmas dinner. Maybe it's because of a loss of a loved one. Maybe it's you're reminded in this season of an estranged family member or a broken relationship or the lack of a relationship or, or a financial difficulty or... Maybe you just, you just feel alone this Christmas season. And, 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 and there's something about it that, that you're, everything on the outside looks like it's together, but there's something that's missing on the inside of you. And you feel like that present that's wrapped so nice and you smile so well. And, and, and nobody else knows that there's an emptiness on the inside. I want to tell you today that we serve a God who knows the emptiness on the inside. We serve a God who wants to get down to the deep things of who we are and deal with our hearts. We talked last week how man looks on the outward appearance, but God sees our hearts. God wants to, uh, God wants to know today, I dedicate this message that we're going to be getting into here in a moment. I dedicate this message to someone who you just feel a little empty on the inside this Christmas. You're dealing with some issues this Christmas, and today God wants to know that He knows and that He cares about where you're at. You're not alone. Before we go into the message, into the message notes, you should have received some message notes in your worship guide when you came in. If you want to pull those out, we'll be going straight to the scripture here in just a moment. But I want to let you know where we're going as a church. This is a very exciting season, not just because of the holiday season, but because it's a brand new year. I don't know what 2015 looked like for you. I don't know what, what 20, you know, maybe it, it was incredible. Maybe it held everything you thought it would be, or maybe it was a time of difficulty and pain and Regardless of how 2015 was, God, there's a brand new opportunity and a brand new chance with the brand new year. I thought about this so many times. Why did, of all the things, when God created the world, why did he create it the way he did, where there's, where there's actually seasons and years? That's, that's God's idea. We just discovered it in, as, 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 as humans. We just discovered this is how the world works. But God created it that way, that there every, every 365 days there would be a brand new opportunity. There'd be a brand new year. And I believe God gives that to us because he knows we'll need it, somebody. Like he knows we'll need a fresh chance. He knows, knows we'll need a fresh opportunity. So I want to let you know on January the 3rd, we're going to be kicking off a brand new series called Detox. I'm going to be talking a lot about it next week and, and preparing us for the new year next Sunday. So you don't want to miss next Sunday. But we will, on January the 3rd, we're going to be kicking off a new series called Detox where we're going to be talking about how to have the best year ever in 2016. A year where we let some things go and a year where we get some new life and freshness in us. And I want to mention this. This is not just about a Sunday service or a sermon, a sermon series. What we're going to be doing as a church is embarking in a time of prayer and fasting. 
You may have not known, known this, but before the church launched in September, those that were on the launch team, we had 21 days of prayer and fasting where we opened up our um, church office complex. And in the mornings, before people would go to work, they would come and they would pray together and seek the Lord that he would bless the church. And I believe, honestly, that, that, that the success and the good things that have happened have been a direct result to people that have prayed and sought the Lord. Because the scripture says very clearly that unless the Lord builds the house, we're all just laboring in vain. So we don't want to be a church that's built on human efforts. We want to be a church that's built on the favor of God. Amen? We want to be a life that's not built on human efforts and our own ability and smarts and ingenuity. We want to have a life that's built on the favor of God. So I want to lead the church in a time of prayer and fasting that's going to begin on January the 4th. That's a Monday. And from 6 to 7 in the morning, we're going to have the office open for a time of worship, a time of prayer. And then it's just going to be a prayer meeting like you've probably never experienced before. And we're going to do this for 21 days from 6 to 7 on Monday through Friday and from 9 to 10 on Saturdays. And it's going to be a time of sacrifice. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm, I don't usually, I'm not, 6 a.m. is not the time where I just want to sing and worship and all those things. But, but, but here's the thing, that I know that God meets us at places of sacrifice. And whenever we set aside our time, energy, and effort to say, God, you're first. Like, I'm going to rearrange. Instead of, how many times do we re- try to rearrange God around us? What would it look like if we said, okay, God, I'm going to rearrange me and so that I can seek your face? And we're going to be talking more about that and what fasting looks like and all those things. So I promise if you want to have a, have a, have a new year probably like never before, uh, let, let's, let's plug in these next couple weeks and let's prepare our hearts because I believe 2016 is going to be a year like we've never seen, not just for us as individuals and families, but I believe we're going to see God do incredible things in the church. But we're going to seek the Lord. That's what's going to make the difference. Amen, somebody? Awesome. If you have your message notes, Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ happened this way. When his mother Mary was espoused or engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be, child, to be of child with the Holy Spirit. The Christmas story centers around two people, Mary and Joseph. We talk a lot about Mary, as we should. But today I want to focus on Joseph. This, this person that we may not talk about too often. But he was someone who was in the middle of a situation that to most all of us would be difficult. And I'm sure he thought, like we all thought, God, what is everybody else going to think about me? Like, I don't understand why there's going to be misunderstandings. It's not going to all work out like I thought it would be. But it was a miracle. It was something that... That, that, that didn't make sense at first. It was difficult. But it was something that in the end was a wonderful thing. In the end, no doubt, Joseph looked back, and said, looked back at his life and said, Thank you, God, that I did not allow things I didn't understand. And things that I didn't understand while you were taking me certain ways that you were taking me. Thank you, God, that I trusted you and that I obeyed you anyway. And no matter where you are today, I want to take you on a journey. Hopefully a journey of where you'll see what a blessed life truly looks like through the life of Joseph. And I'm going to take one of my favorite people in film, George Bailey. And we're going to look at the life of George. And we're going to look at what it means to have a life that's truly wonderful. Check out the story of George Bailey. Yay! Hey! 
Who's that? That's your problem, George Bailey. A boy? That's him when he was 12, back in 1919. Something happens here you'll have to remember later on. saved his brother's life that day. But he caught a bad cold, which infected his left ear. An overnight bag, genuine English cowhide, combination lock, fitted up with brushes, oh, combs. No, 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 no. Now look, Joe. Now look. I, I, I want a big one. What'd you stop it for? I want you to take a good look at that face. Who is it? George Bailey. Oh, you mean the kid that had his ear slapped back by the druggist? That's the kid. Ah, it's a good face. I like it. I like George Bailey. Tell me, did he ever tell anyone about the pills? Not a soul. Did he ever marry the girl? Did he ever go exploring? Well, wait and see. Now listen. Now listen to me. I, I beg of you not to do this thing. If Potter gets a hold of this building and alone, there'll never be another decent house built in this town. He's already got charge of the bank, he's got the bus line, he's got the department stores, and now he's after us. Why? Well, it's very simple, because we're cutting in on his business, that's why. And because he wants to keep you living in his slums and paying the kind of rent he decides. Joe, you had one of those Potter houses, didn't you? Well, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten what he charged you for that broken-down shack? Here, Ed, you know, you remember last year when things weren't going so well and you couldn't make your payments? Well, you didn't lose your house, did you? You think Potter would have let you keep it? Can't you understand what's happening here? Don't you see what's happening? Potter isn't selling, Potter's buying. And why? Because we're panicky and he's not, that's why. He's picking up some bargain. Now, we, we can get through this thing, all right. We, we've got to stick together, though. We've got to have faith in each other. But my husband hasn't worked in over a year, and I need money. How am I going to live until the bank opens? I got doctor bills to pay. I need cash. I can't keep my kids on faith. I've got to have... How much do you need? Hey! I got $2,000. Here's $2,000. This will tide us over to the bank reopens. All right, Tom. I can get along with 20 all right. $20, And I'll sign the papers. You don't have to sign anything. I know. You You pay when you can. That's okay. All right, Miss Davis. Could I have $1,750? That's your heart. Of course you can have it. You got 50 cents? Seven. We're going to make it, George. Six. It'll never close us up today. Five, four, three, two. One bingo! We made it! Close the door, Eustace. We made it. Look, look, we're still in business. We still got two bucks. <laughs> George was somebody who lived a generous life. And that's the first idea I want to talk about today. It's simply this, that life is most wonderful when it's not about me. Life is most wonderful when it's not about me. What we learned through this classic is simply this, that that George constantly made the right decision when it comes to helping others. From the time where he was a child, where he saved his brother that was drowning in the ice 
icy water to the, another time where he actually rescued someone who was going to be poisoned to a time where instead of going off to college, he chose to stay and to help people in his hometown um, be able to afford housing. And he was somebody who lived a life that was not about himself, constantly putting others before him. And what we find is that the life that's a wonderful life, the, wi- the life that's truly wonderful, is, begins to happen when we realize that it's not about me. Life is not about my wants and my needs and what I have. But life is truly wonderful whenever we begin to put other people before ourselves. The next verse in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, speaking of Joseph in the scripture, it says that Joseph, her husband, being a just man, did not want to make her a public example and decided to put her away privately. He decided to put her away privately. What would it look like for Joseph, if he was being selfish, he could have easily said, you know what, I am going to get far away from Mary. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect my reputation. I'm going to get done what I want to have done. I'm going to, this life is about me. It's about me being what I thought I would be and my dreams and my abilities and what I was going to accomplish with my life. Joseph could have easily done that just like George in our movie that we're looking at today. But, but he said, no, he said I'm a, he was a just man, the scripture says. God, help us to be that kind of person. I, I wrote in my notes, my own journal this week, I said, if I had one wish for anything, what would it be for? If I had one wish for anything, if you had one wish for anything, what would it be for? I said, sadly, being real, I know that if I were to be honest, most of the wishes that I would have would be for me, for myself, for my life, for my comfort, for things that I would have. And what you'll find is that the life that's truly wonderful is not a life that's about your wishes and your dreams. But it's actually a life that's lived helping the wishes of others and then God allowing your dreams to come to pass through that. I think about in the Old Testament the story of Joseph. Joseph had so many negative things happen in his life. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was placed as a slave in the house of Potiphar. But instead of being discouraged because he was a slave in the house of Potiphar, the Bible says that he he served in such a way that Potiphar put him in charge of every, everything. Potiphar put him in charge of all of the other workers and all of the other slaves. Why? Because he was, he was doing what he was doing to help others. He put Potiphar, his master, in, over himself and he was serving. He was blessing. He was doing whatever he could to make it better and he was put in charge. And then what happens next? Potiphar's wife lies on Joseph and he's placed in prison. And again... Instead of giving up, instead of being discouraged, instead of having a bad attitude, the Bible says that Joseph was put in charge of the prison. It says whatever was to be done in the prison, Joseph did it. Man, that's a guy, that's some kind of guy. Like he lived in such a way that he served the dreams of others. He was a good employee. He was the best 
person to have around so much so they said, hey, man, we want to put you in charge of Potiphar's house. We want to put you in charge of the prison. And then he finds, then, then Pharaoh finds out about his ability and Pharaoh brings him and he actually comes to the palace and becomes second in command. He saves God's people and the dream that God gave him came true. But I just want to bring your attention to the reality of this, is that he made others' dreams come true first. He lived his life to make others' dreams come true, and then in turn, God made his dreams come true. But if Joseph would have lived his life to make his dreams come true, then he would have never taken any steps towards, toward the palace that God had prepared for him. Do we live a life about us? Or are we searching? Are we seeking? Are we like George Bailey where we're saying, I want to make the right decision to bless others? Proverbs chapter 11, verse 27 in your notes. It says, one person gives freely. Watch this. It's kind of an oxymoron. He gives, but he gains even more. Another withholds unduly and comes to poverty. It's an oxymoron in the Bible. God says, hey, if you get, you'll receive. If you get, you'll receive more. If you give, you'll receive more. But if you're the kind of person that you want to hoard it all to yourself, you actually lose. That, that we grow rich, not just financially rich, but a relationally rich, emotionally rich. We grow rich in our relationships, rich in love for others, rich through giving of ourselves. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 9 says, The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. See, this was George's story, that he was someone who gave and gave and gave. But things didn't turn out like he thought they were going to turn out. In all of his giving, in all of his, in all of his giving, he, he looked around and he did not think his life was that great. And I don't know, maybe you feel this way. Today, where you look at your life and you feel like you're, you, you are giving and, and you are helping and you're, you're trying to do what you, the best that you know to do to serve others and to love people. But then you look around and you think, man, it's not that wonderful in my life. I, I, I wonder if God's even there. I wonder if it's even real. Am I even taking steps to my purpose or am I not? Well, this, this crucial moment in the story that I want to show you the video of is, is a time where this exactly this exact thing was happening in George's life. He had done all these good things to help people, but he was disillusioned because of an, a situation that happened in the building alone where he worked. $8,000 had went missing, and he was going to go to prison because of it. It was, a, it was a bad day for George Bailey, and then something happens that changes everything. Check it out.
Yeah. I got a bust in the jaw in answer to a prayer a little bit ago. Oh, no, 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 Georgia. I'm the answer to your prayer. That's why I was sent down here. How'd you know my name? Oh, I know all about you. I've watched you grow up from a little boy. What are you, a mind reader or something? <laughs> well, who are you, then? Clarence Oddbody, AS2. Oddbody. AS2, what, what, what's that, AS2? Angel, second class. Cheerio, my good man. say just a minute ago. Why'd you want to save me? That's what I was sent down for. I'm your guardian angel. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Ridiculous of you to think of killing yourself for money. Eight thousand dollars. Yeah, now, th just things like that. Now, how do you know that? I told you I'm your guardian angel. I know everything about you. George has an interruption in his life. George has a divine interruption. And here, here's the second point I want to talk about through the life of Joseph is life is most wonderful when it is divinely interrupted. When it is divinely interrupted. C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Could it be, could it be, that right here in this Christmas season, God is wanting to interrupt us in the busyness of this season, in the busyness of all the things that we're going through. And maybe we feel like that, un we feel like that fake present, that, that, that beautifully wrapped emptiness. Maybe we feel that way. And God today is wanting to say, I want to interrupt your life and let you know that I am still here. And let you know that I still care and that you are not alone. You see, God begins to speak into the life of Joseph, and here's what happens. He has a divine interruption. Verse 20 of Matthew chapter 1, it's in your notes, it says, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream. A divine interruption. And here's what happened. Saying, Joseph, son, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take unto you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it may be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Oh, that's such a beautiful part of the Christmas story. And it all happened because of a divine interruption. It all happened because Joseph was willing and open to say, God, okay, whatever you want, you can interrupt my life. You can interrupt wherever I am. Maybe you're here today and you're far from God. Maybe you're here today and everything's wonderful on the outside, but it's deep emptiness on the inside. God says, let me interrupt your life. Let me interrupt your Christmas season and let you know it's going to be all right. Let you know it's going to be okay. God's still in control. God's still in charge. It's going to be okay. Psalm chapter 73 
in verse 2 is one of, it is a passage in the scripture I think about so much because it just shows how we are sometimes. See, George had done all this good. He had, he had, he had, he had done all the right things like Joseph and, and things were happening that he didn't understand. David said, for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity in the, of the wicked. In other words, God, all this serving you, all this doing good, all this making a difference, all this seeking after you, it's just in vain. It's not something that's lasting. He says, in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands with innocence. When I tried to understand this, it troubled me deeply. Maybe you have an employer that 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 you that that doesn't that ha- having issues with you, and you think, man, how could somebody that's not even trying to do the right thing look like they be blessed? And me, I'm trying to do the right thing, and it's not working out. Or maybe you have a family member or a friend or someone you look at, and you envy them, thinking, God, I don't even understand how they could be blessed, and I'm not blessed because it looks like I'm not. It looks like everything's not going right in my life. But verse 17 says. Then I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. In other words, I got a fresh perspective about what was really important. I was looking at everybody else comparing my life to them, and then I realized, you know what, that's not even my job. My job is to to look to Jesus and to focus on Him, and that's what makes the difference in my life. Well, Well, George made a wish. He made a wish that something would happen and I want to show you what that wish is, and hopefully it'll be something that, 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 that gives you a fresh perspective about your own life. I suppose it would have been better if I'd never been born at all. What'd you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. Oh, you mustn't say things like that. You... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's an idea. What do you think? Yeah, that'll do it. All right. You've got your wish. You've never been bored. You don't have to make all that fuss about it. What'd you say? You've never been born. You don't exist. life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? Are you sure this is Bailey Park? No, I'm not sure of anything anymore. All I know is this should be Bailey Park. But where are the houses? We are here to build them. Your brother, Harry Bailey, broke through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. 
That's a lie. Harry Bailey went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. You see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? He had a wonderful life. What a mistake it would be to throw it away. See, he didn't understand the void of his absence because he didn't understand the value of his presence. When we look at our lives, I wanted to remind you today that you're more valuable than you realize. That God does not make junk. There's not one person in this room whose life does not matter or whose life is not valuable or your life is worth throwing away. Whenever you look at it, maybe this Christmas, you look at it with dread and despair and you feel emptiness. I want you to know that you're more valuable than you realize. And whenever you look around your life, you have a lot to be thankful for. See, George allowed the circumstances of life to crowd out his thankfulness. And here's, here's, here's the number three, that life is most wonderful when it is thankful. Life is most wonderful when it is thankful. One man said, most human beings have an almost infinite capacity for taking things for granted. George looked at his life. There was so much good, but he allowed the things that he didn't have to crowd out the things that he did have. And he began to be unthankful, and then he became, began to want to throw it all away and become suicidal. See, unthankfulness comes when we see only what we don't have in, instead of seeing what we do have. I want to challenge someone this Christmas to not worry about what you've lost, but be thankful for what you still have. Don't worry about what you don't have anymore, but be thankful for what you do have. Because what you'll begin to do is whenever you thank God for what you do have in your life, you'll begin to allow joy and you'll begin to allow God to come and to realize that your life is more wonderful than you even realized that it was. See, I believe thankfulness is the cure to anxiety in our life. I've never met a thankful person that was suicidal. I've never met a thankful person that was so thankful about all the things. And Thank you, God, for my health. Thank you, God, for my job. Thank you, God, for my friends. See, the more you thank God for what he has given you in your life, there's something, it, it begins to break strongholds that the enemy can put on your mind. I believe thankfulness is the, is the key to, to problems that we have with people. That if we will allow ourselves to be thankful, if we will allow ourselves to, to look at the people in our life and just be thankful that God has put them there, then it will change everything. It's not in your notes, but it's one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 24. It says, it's better to live on the corner of your roof, roof than to share a house with a contentious woman. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. God says, hey, it's better you, you live on a rooftop than to live with somebody who's unthankful and negative all the time. And that's for men or women. See, when we're thankful, it causes the relationships to be better in our lives. Thankfulness will cause your spouse to look better. 
thankfulness will cause your friends to be better. Thankfulness changes something on the inside of us. See, being thankful is like getting a raise. (laughs) Whenever you're thankful for what you have, it causes you to want less. Because you see, thank you, God, for what you have given me. See, George missed it. Here's how you be thankful. Thank God for the little things. If you have food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back and a roof over your head, a place to sleep, you're richer than 75% of people in the world. If you have money in the bank, in your wallet, or spare change in your pocket somewhere, you're among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you're more blessed than than the millions who will not survive this week. If you've never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, or the pains of starvation, you're ahead of 500 million people in this world. If you can attend church meetings without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you are more blessed than 3 billion people on planet Earth. Church, we have a lot to be thankful for. We have a lot to look around and say, God, everything's not perfect, but I'm blessed. Everything isn't working out exactly how I thought it would, but you've been so good to me, and I thank you for it. See, George had a life-changing experience whenever he began to see the impact and how much he had taken for granted. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. Your note says the will of God. <laughs> it means the will of God. It's not a new crazy doctrine. The will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It's the will of God that in all circumstances we'd be thankful. I want to show you one last clip and we'll be done today. Please, I want to live again. I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. Hey, George! George? Bert, do you know me? Know you? (laughs) You kidding? I've been looking all over town trying to find you. I saw your car piled into that tree down there, and I thought maybe you... Hey, your mouth's bleeding. Are you sure you're all right? What you... Just the Georgian trouble and tell me you just like a spread like spread. Another run on the bank. Here, George, man. 
Big brother George, the richest man in town. so good. Here's the last idea that our life is most wonderful when it's surrendered to God. I love that part in the movie where he says, God, would you help me? And I love what he says, would you help me live again? Oh, Lord, this Christmas, would you help us live again? God, we surrender our lives to you. We surrender our expectations. Lord, we surrender the things that we don't understand. Would you help us to live again? Matthew 1, 24, Joseph, Joseph obeys the dream and he follows God. He names the Christ child Jesus just as God says and he obeyed. See, whenever we trust God, we can claim the promise of Romans 8 that we know everything's going to work together for good. Like no matter what you're facing this year, no matter what you're looking at, no matter what impossibility, what fear, what hurt, what pain is in your life this Christmas, I want you to know you can trust God. And I just want to pray for you to live again. In Jesus' name, every head bowed. This place, I just want to lead us in a time of prayer. Lord, thank you so much Lord, that you make our lives wonderful. Lord, thank you so much that you don't leave us alone, but you interrupt our lives. And you make it wonderful whenever we see that we're not alone. We're not just meandering through life without purpose or without plan. But you have a divine purpose for our lives. And it's affecting people. God, help us this Christmas season to be like Joseph and say, I don't understand it all the time. And, and there are difficulties at time, but I'm going to trust you. And thank you for using us to be part of your story in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today.